At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists. Like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Welcome to another edition of the Hornets Hivecast, your daily podcast with all the notes, quotes, and daily buzz around your favorite NBA team, the Charlotte Hornets. I'm your host, Sam Farber. It is a pleasure and a privilege to have you with us here today, and a pleasure and a privilege to have Sam Purley from the Hornets. That's right, another two Sam's edition of the Hornets Hivecast. Sadly, though, we have to start with uh, last night's game. Hornets falling by a final score of 108-93 to to Memphis, and it wasn't even that close Sam, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn if I say that was probably the worst effort of the season. Uh, Hopefully it's the worst one over the length of the full 72, but certainly for the first five, that one uh, was rough. Yeah, it's my second appearance on the podcast, and they're both after losses now, so I'm counting on me to kind of bring the silver linings for this. Yeah, uh, tough loss. Definitely an odd game. Just there's a couple things that looked kind of a little different, especially I'm sure we'll get into it at some point, but just how well they played in Dallas come home and to get against this Memphis team that was shorthanded, missing a number of key players was kind of a tough one, especially now heading into a four-game road trip and kicking off against Philadelphia, which I know we'll get into. It's, you know, there's some silver linings, but overall, yeah, tough. Just couldn't, just couldn't get anything going offensively. You touched on the fact that Memphis was missing some players, and, you know, that is always a factor. Personnel is always a factor. But to me, it didn't really matter whom the Hornets were playing against. They did not look like their normal selves. The ball was not moving as freely and as easily. Not that they weren't attempting to share the ball. They were. It just felt like it would get stuck in weird spots. And maybe they were one pass away or one dribble away from things getting back into the normal flow. And it just wasn't there tonight. Yeah, they had 23 assists on 35 baskets, 41%. 29% from three. Just didn't have a lot of open looks. The ball, like you said, was sticking. Um, only six, 
Looking at now eight fast break points. This team is leading the league in fast break or is at the top in transition, just couldn't get anything going. Another weird one, one of 11 on second chance scoring. So a couple things here and there, but yeah, just, it just didn't look like the Hornets we've been accustomed to seeing through these first few games. Even in those losses, they were still moving the ball. But, you know, credit to Memphis. Was, the backcourt is really, really good defensively and size-wise with Dylan Brooks and uh, Tyus Jones. And they made things tough for Devontae Graham and Terry Rogier. And I think that just kind of trickled to the rest of the offense. In the NBA, really at any level of basketball, you, you would love to be playing your best team basketball and have your individuals having their best individual games. The, the second tier from that is that if you're having a tough time with individuals, as happened against Dallas, mm-hmm. for, for instance, your team basketball will take over. And even though one guy didn't go for 30, everyone will play up to the collective level and that will sustain you. And that's what happened in Dallas. The team didn't look quite right. As you mentioned, a couple of the stats standing out, things just were a little bit off. And the individuals that you might say, okay, we need to get something to happen here, they struggled too. There are not going to be a whole lot of nights in the NBA for the Hornets where Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham are going to combine and go two for 21, and they're going to find their way to a win. So, you know, those two struggled with their shot. I don't know if it was the offense looking a bit disjointed or they just were off tonight. But whatever it was, it didn't end up with the, the positive result for the Hornets. Yeah, absolutely. And the situation that you just mentioned was what happened in Cleveland. They got behind big, but you could sort of see Terry heating up and it said, if we're going to get back in this game, Terry Rogier is going to lead us. And they, they almost did. You know, play five more minutes of that game and who knows what happens when he had the 41 point or 42 point. But again, like you said, the backcourt bench was, you know, I think pretty good. And, you know, but again, if, in, with all due respect, I think if Bismarck Biombo is leading the team in scoring, it means there, there's a little bit of a. You know, offensive issues, and it just you know a lot of his were on putbacks and things like that. I thought he played extremely well, though, and the rebounding and the physicality, and um, certainly gave the Hornets a chance there in the paint, but they just couldn't get anything outside of those other four guys. Time to settle for some silver linings. We don't like to do it, but uh, sadly, you're right, Sam. This is too straight up. Don't tell Matt Carroll, by the way. Matt, I gave Matt Carroll kind of a big head because <laughs> I had talked to him after the Brooklyn. I think it was after the Brooklyn game, so. You know, I told him like, "Hey, they're one and zero. Whenever, whenever you're on the show, so don't tell them that you're zero and two. That that might not be good." Yeah, well, he'll make sure I'm not on here anymore. <laughs> or it'll uh, have to be it have to be on the fly. Like we win, okay, now come down. Silver linings: uh, Bismack Biombo. You mentioned him, 16 points, 12 rebounds, seven offensive rebounds, and against a guy like Jonas Valanciunas, who I think, uh, along with Nikola Vucevic, uh, those are the two most underrated, unknown bigs in the NBA. NBA people know them. Common fans are like, who's that in the middle? And yet they are so productive year after year after year. Uh, Bismarck Biombo, it's not as if he got his points on a night where he wasn't matched up with a good center. He was matched up with a very good center and got his numbers. Biombo pulls it down, goes up and throws it down with two hands. Yeah, absolutely. Double-doubled first of the season. Like you said, 16 and 12. 7 of 10 shooting. Just created a lot of second-chance opportunities getting out, but it Unfortunately, they just swarmed there down in the paint in the rim and he either couldn't get those putback attempts or he couldn't get it out to the guys on the perimeter. And I think that's what, I mean, even if the Hornets were getting a second shot, it wasn't a good shot or it was turning into a turnover or something. So I thought he was really good defensively. And I thought he's been really good since Cody uh, Zeller went down. I thought he's been, you know, you saw it in the Nets game, saw it in the Brooklyn or the Dallas game. I thought he's been really, really good. And, you know, rebounding-wise, I don't think that's why they lost tonight. He was, I thought... Did a really good job with Valanchunas. Um, it just was, you know, the rest of the team just didn't get as much as they needed. Silver linings, LaMelo Ball. LaMelo Ball head fakes the three. Could have blown by Valanchunas there, but he hesitated. Now he'll offer up a three from deep, and it's good. LaMelo Ball, he is on fire to open up the new year. 
but 15.6 assists. I know he was only two of seven from three, but he continues to look good offensively and continues to be making the right decisions. I think I can count on one hand the quote-unquote bad shots he has taken this year, which for a young, talented player with a lot of expectations, I don't think you'd say that about most of them. I think five games in the season, there'd be a lot of bad shots taken. LaMelo has taken very, very few impressive and I think every environment he's been up to up until this point he's been the guy he's been the focus he's been the one he's kind of had the green light everywhere he's been so it was interesting to see how he would react to playing in a more passing team-centric environment and he's been really really good obviously the Dallas game really stands out but I thought he had some some you know fancy passes he looks confident I mean there's no other way to put it he looks like he belongs on NBA court he's not phased he's not rattled um, and defensively, he's making some timely plays, and um, that's the best thing I think you can say about a guy five games into the NBA career. He looks like he belongs, and you can feel the confidence, and the decision-making has been really, really good. Obviously, there's going to be a couple you know, rookie things here and there, but overall, he was had another big night for the Hornets, 15, like you said, 15 points, 6 assists. Third and final silver lining, congrats to Nick Richards. First NBA bucket. On rebound, hauled in by Martin. Two on one, gives to Richards. Richards with a two-handed slam. Welcome to the NBA, Nick Richards. There have not been a lot of minutes for these young uh, second-round selection bigs for the Hornets so far. But he gets out there, has a big dunk. It's a positive. You want to celebrate these moments wherever they come, and you'd love for it to come in a win. But uh, Nick Richards, first NBA bucket, mark it down. Yeah, absolutely. Really, really cool for him. I, like you said, I know he'd rather it be in a more, you know, not a 15-point, 20-point loss. But for a guy that only started playing basketball when he was in high school down in Jamaica and played a number of different sports and then traveled to the United States and then to Kentucky and to here and um, having everything happen so fast, really cool moment. And it's, you know, sometimes to stop and appreciate those little things. It's uh, Congrats to Nick. That's big. And hopefully there's more to come for this in his Hornets career. Much, much more to talk about here on the Hornets Hivecast. There is a game to break down coming up tonight against the Philadelphia 76ers. We'll get to that in a moment. But first, I want to encourage you all to shop our best-selling classic gear and jerseys by visiting HornetsFanshop.com. Now, during this podcast, you can get there right now. You're already online some way, somehow. So go ahead and shop for your all-new Hornets gear. Sam Farber and Sam Purley here with you on the Hornets Hivecast. You know, I just had the plug there for the Hornets gear. Debut for the new minted City Edition uniforms. Now, I know the result wasn't good in the mint. Usually the saying is, look good, play good. But today we'll just have to settle for look good, you know, the day after the minted. So, you know, what did you think of the new look out there, the new floor? These kinds of moments are the ones you really want to share with fans. We can't in person, but... What has been the feedback that you've at least seen, social media or otherwise, to the new uniforms? Oh, obviously, game aside, I thought the the court was really, really cool. I thought the jerseys were really, really cool. It's something different, and I love with these city edition jerseys that there's a story behind it, and it traces this particular one traces back to Charlotte's origins as the first U.S. Mint and the Gold Rush and things like that. And every city has kind of a unique story to tell with the city, their respective city uniforms. I, I just think it's really cool, and huge props to our marketing department, our creative services department, and everyone for putting this in because this isn't something that we just cooked up over the summer. This is multiple years in advance and collaboration. With with Nike and Jordan Brand and things like that. And then to complement it with the court, and then we were able to kind of intricate um, graphics and things like that to kind of match, I thought was really, really cool. So results aside, branding-wise, I thought it was really, really cool first game for the, uh, the Mint Edition uniforms. I feel like the number two LaMelo Ball uniform is going to get really popular in the Queen City, you know, in, in terms of what's worn in the Spectrum Center when we can have fans in. 
How popular do you think it'll be in mint? I think it's a good look. I was actually at the fan shop shopping for Christmas presents maybe a week or two before Christmas and sold out. At least in some of the best sizes. There's so none. It was the hottest, at least at the time, it was one of the hottest Christmas, you know, a couple of great jerseys with a really exciting rookie player. You're going to sell out quick. So uh, I think when we do at some point hopefully get back fans uh, in the not-too-distant future, you're going to see a lot of those light green mint number two jerseys in the uh, Spectrum Center. Hornetsfanshop.com. Go check them out. Well, one thing, while we have Sam here, and Sam, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like you and I have a, a appreciation for – the statistics, the nitty gritty, and I don't like to get too much into you know all the the kind of you know moneyball numbers on the podcast because quite frankly I think while they they can be interesting it can be a little bit dense but I think you and I both have an appreciation for it so you know those fans who want to hear about Philadelphia coming up tonight stick around this isn't going to be a long conversation but I think we can have this conversation yeah absolutely we're both it sounds like we I've only known you for about a month at this point but it sounds like we're both pretty big stats nerds and we at some point get back up in the office we're going to bore each other all day with numbers and graphs and things like that and sports almanacs and we'll actually probably annoy the people around us more than each other yes yes whoever's caught between two sams is not going to always like the conversation but you know net rating is a popular status based off you know your offensive and defensive efficiencies off 100 possessions and you know i like to look at combos i think individual players net ratings are important but combos is really what kind of drives things especially in an offense like james borrego's so i was looking for the best three-player combo that has been on the floor 50 minutes or more through five games. Best three-player combo. There's only one that's got a positive net rating right now. Uh, obviously, the, the game against uh, Memphis didn't help things, but it's Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier, and Bridges. Hmm. And I thought that was interesting. You know, you're getting some of the bench mob in, involved in it, but those two combined together, Hayward and Rozier, and you already wrote about this, how their combination, having some familiarity from Boston, might be paying off dividends here early in the season. Two years in Boston together, they didn't really play the first year because Gordon was hurt, and then the next year Gordon was kind of getting back to where he was, and Terry was in a different role as well as a bench player. But I think going into the Dallas game, over half of Gordon's nightly assists were going to baskets on Terry. I think Terry was something like 6 of 12 from 3 on passes from Gordon. So there's definitely a chemistry there, and it's certainly you can see it. I know they didn't play a tremendous amount of time in Boston, but just having just a little familiarity with the quick training camp and a shortened off season and the Gordon switching teams has certainly been beneficial um, for the Hornets with those two uh, so far. So now the next one I want to, to go with you. I'm going to give you a little quiz. Give you a little All quiz. Right. Okay, so you've got three-man combos that have played at least 25 minutes on the floor together. Three-man combos, at least 25 minutes on the floor together through five games. The ones that meet that criteria, there is a total of seven that have a net rating of 25 or higher. So that you know that that this is clearly a working combo, even though it's a smaller sample size so far. I tried all the players that are involved in them. Two guys are in five of those combos. Can you guess who you think those two players are? Is do they look very similar physically? No, it's not the Martin twins. <laughs> no, it's not the Martin twins. Although both of them are involved in a in a combo, so you got that going for him. Oh man, is PJ one? PJ is not. See, I'm striking it, out on this quiz here. I'll give them to you. It is Miles Bridges is involved in five such combos, mm-hmm. and the other guy is Devontae Graham. 
And okay. I think that's interesting because Devontae, you know, we, we heard it in the post-game press conference. There, there's already some chatter about, hey, you know, from the, from the media. And I, I, it's a fair question after mm-hmm. a bad loss, you know, that comes with the territory. But are you going to alter the starting lineup? And I, and I think without saying it, people are looking at the guards who struggled last night against Memphis and saying, well, maybe one of them needs to sit a little bit more. Devontae Graham has struggled with his shot. There's no doubt about that through the first five games. But the the team still plays pretty well, last night not really included, with him out there. The ball moves better. He is still a threat from three. It's a small sample size on his individual shot, but collectively, how they play when he's out there, the numbers speak for themselves. They play pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. And I know it's frustrating for Devontae to start and not shooting. He's taking on a different role this year. He's a little bit more off-ball. You have more guys like Gordon taking more shots, Terry taking more shots, PJ taking more shots. I mean, even Biz is handling the ball a little bit more in that starting unit. So I know it's been tough for Devontae, but at the end of the day, this is a guy that hit over 200 threes last year. He was top 10 in the league in threes and assists. He can play make. He can shoot. He still has to be accounted for. You know, if we're still at this point 25 games in, then we can have another conversation. I think he's going to be fine. He's confident in himself. And right now I think it's just about finding good looks. You know, some of these shots, especially against Memphis, they just weren't good shots. And that wasn't necessarily his fault. It's just Memphis played well and, you know, made him a focal point. And it's just kind of a this is about adjusting at this point of his NBA career and figuring out how to succeed. But, yeah, there's no doubt the team is playing well when he's out there. So that's interesting. One last thing to uh, to nerd out on, so to speak. Uh, there is only one unit, uh, five-man lineup on the team that has played 25 minutes or more together. Makes sense. It's not a, a whole lot of games. But it's the starting five for the last four games, Hayward, Biombo, Rozier, Graham, and Washington. And their net rating is a minus 25. Now, that, that that's not good. You, you want it to be you know, somewhere on the positive side, uh, maybe down a little bit and you know, let the different rotations kind of come in and, and you know, start to – as you bring in your bench, you know things sort themselves out. But to be minus twenty-five, uh, that's not where you want it to be. What does that number say to you? And is five-game sample size really four-game? Because Cody Zeller was the primary center in one of those. At what point do you, as someone who covers the team so closely, expect to see a change need to be made? If it's not already, and I'll say this up front, I personally don't think it needs to be me because you look at these smaller subsets, you know, when you're not looking at five men, you're looking at three men and every one of those players are involved in a lot of positives. So, you know, maybe it's not throwing out the uh, the baby with the bathwater, but just changing the temperature on on it as you pour it in. Yeah, I think five games is a little short and I understand the, you know, you see LaMelo Ball doing what he's doing in the second unit or against the reserves. And, hey, let's plug him into the first unit. It'll be the same. That's not necessarily how it works. It's not linear. You know, it's it's a big jump. You know, you go from seeing opposing second string backcourt into first string. At this point, his career can be a lot. And that's a big move. I mean, we, we did it last year when we uh, Devontae got off to such a great start and about 10 games in, he got moved into the starting lineup for Dwayne Bacon. And, you know, Devontae was able to you know, make that jump and keep on moving. So um, I don't think it's there yet, you know, but part of being a head coach is always evaluating the situation, always seeing how can I put my team in the best position to be successful. And, you know, it, it might be, it gets to a point, maybe you get a few games into this road trip and you try something out and, you know, I, I trust that JB will figure it out, but the rush to do it, I don't think there's a rush to do it, but I certainly think there is a expectation that you have to explore whatever avenue you can in order to make the team successful as possible. And if that's moving LaMelo into the starting lineup, it's moving Devontae to this, that, whatever it is, I think that should be the expectation. I bring it up because I read Twitter 
All right, I see the chatter from the fans. I understand, you know. I want to. I want to say, you know, that we've touched on it. We fleshed it out. Uh, that's. I agree with you. It's not a, a done thing. Five games is a small sample size, and overall, everyone in the starting lineup has had, you know, that smaller group. When you when you take it down to three man or two man rotations, they're all having their better lineups. But just those five together, the net rating is bad. But I will throw this in here. Okay, I know the Hornets are two and three. You know, right around five hundred. A team that is four and one. Good start to the season. The Orlando Magic. Can you guess what their starting lineup's net rating is? Zero. It's minus 26. It's worse than the Hornets' starting lineup. So for everyone out there, it's like, oh, this this is the problem. This is it. you got to change this one thing and all will be right in the world. Well, Orlando is 4-1, and one, a winning record, and their starting lineup, their collective net rating is worse through five games than the Hornets. So does that mean they're actually a worse team than their record? Does that mean that their starting lineup isn't very good? Probably neither of those things is true. It just means that that's what the numbers say through five games, small sample size. Let's give it all some time for the Hornets in, uh, in JB We Trust, right? Absolutely. There we go. We've got uh, one segment left, and we've got a game to prepare for tonight. Before we do, I want to encourage you all to download the Hornets app on your mobile device for access to all new features and exclusive content. You don't want to miss the new game day experiences for every game this season, giving you information and digital activations available only through the Hornets app. Segment three, third and final of the Hornets Hivecast. Time to get you ready for tonight's contest. Hornets in the city of brotherly love to take on the 4-1 and Philadelphia 76ers. Joel Embiid and company have gotten off to a great start. They're 2-0 at home. Doc Rivers taking over with Philadelphia. Uh, you know, is this, in your mind, Sam Purley, a new voice bringing out slightly better play amongst a already talented team? Or is Philadelphia maybe the team to beat in the Eastern Conference? I think maybe I wouldn't necessarily say that the team to beat. We got a long ways to go, but you know when you go against a Doc Rivers coach team, they're always going to be coached well. They're never really going to beat themselves. They've been doing this for for twenty years in the NBA, and sometimes you know nothing against Brett Brown, who I know they let go and kind of navigate him through the process. But sometimes you just need a, a different voice in there, and it responds differently um, when you see. And one thing that always has been good about Philadelphia these last few years is def- defense. They're really really good defensively, and in this offseason they added a couple sh- proven shooters in Danny Green and. Seth Curry to kind of open up that offense around Simmons a little bit more. So um, they seem pretty balanced right now. It's going to be a really, really tough matchup and a tough matchup on Monday because they play the Sixers two times in a row. Going through Philadelphia's schedule, they have not played a Boston. They have not played a Brooklyn. They have not played a Lakers or Clippers team yet. Uh, their best win based off last year's records, probably their one against Toronto, a 193 decision. Their loss was on the road at Cleveland, who's been a, had a surprising start, although they've come back to earth just a little bit. Can we read too much into Philadelphia's record and also the fact that defensively speaking, they've been the best team in the Eastern Conference so far? Is it they're that good or is it let's wait and see what happens when they face some of the other big time contenders or even a Hornets team that outside of last night? has shown a great ability to share the basketball. Yeah, and I think that Cleveland game you mentioned, I don't think Embiid played in that either, so they were shorthanded for that. They could very easily be 5-0. and You know, facing the 76ers team, the Hornets have had not had very good luck against the 76ers the last few years. I think they've lost 11 in a row, but the last five, only faced them once a year, last five have only been by about 3.6 points per outing. So they've been right there. Um, and what they're going to have to do is that half-court defense in Philadelphia is so good. It's so long. It's so physical with Simmons and Embiid and Matisse Thibel. Now they have Dwight Howard as well. The Hornets are going to have to get out and fast break and transition much more than they did against Memphis. They can't afford to be in 
too many half-court situations like they were against the Grizzlies. They really, really got to push the pace. They got to get some turnovers because this defense in Philadelphia is really, really good. They're really physical. They're really long, and they're tough to beat. They really are. So Philly definitely looks like one of the best teams in the East right now, if not the NBA. In terms of putting it all together for the Hornets, we have yet to see a game this year where Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier, and Devontae Graham have all shot the ball well. Hasn't happened yet. We've had very rare occasions where two of those three have shot the ball really well individually. Collectively, they've played well for the most part in 75-80% of their games to this point, whether those two or those three have been hot or not. What are the chances that they get hot against a Philadelphia team that does play good defense, but as you mentioned, and beats more of an anchor. He's not someone who's a perimeter defender. They do have good perimeter defenders on this team, but what are the chances that Gordon Hayward and those two guards, who were so spectacular last year, get hot collectively in Philly? Hopefully it happens. You know, but that's that's kind of the, the beauty, I think, of this roster this year is you've got guys. You know, if, if the defense is clamping in on Terry or Devontae, then you've got a couple other guys that can shoot and produce. It doesn't have to be just, I mean, for years and years and years, you know, if Kemba had a rough shooting night, there was a good chance the team was going to lose. But now it's like, you know, if one or two guys doesn't play super well, we've got other guys that kind of pick up the slack. So um, it's going to be really tough for all three of them to play as well you know, shoot really, really well because I just 76ers are a really good defensive team, but it's not impossible. We were in here a week ago saying what it's going to take to beat the Brooklyn Nets, and they went out and did it. So there's no reason they can't go out and do it again uh, tonight against the 76ers. Sam, I think the next time we have you on the schedule is uh, about a week from today against, uh, well, after the New Orleans game, before the game against the Atlanta Hawks. How you feeling about, you know, we're projecting off into the future, a win against New Orleans so that when we have you here, in studio talking about things on Hornets Hivecast. You don't have to hear from Matt Carroll afterwards about how it lost. Yeah, yeah. don't tell him that every time I'm coming on the show, the team is losing. Let me see. That's the ESPN game, so that'll be a fun one. A little bit of a national spotlight, obviously, with with the biggest storyline being LaMelo and playing Lonzo for the first time. But I'm kind of looking at Sixers right now, and then I think they play the Hawks, and then it's Pelicans. So I might circle back with you on Monday or Tuesday when I start working on New Orleans stuff. Well, but, I'm just talking about individually for you because I'm, I'm looking out for you. I, I want this between two Sams thing to work out well. We I don't want Matt interrupting and hey, every time you two talk, it's after a loss. So stop scheduling yourselves. Yeah, it's going to have to be uh, – it might just have to be some random win, and whoever was your scheduled guest, just push him to the side just so I can get that one if it was supposed to be Matt or that, hey, you know what, I'm going to have to push you. We actually won. Get Sam on there. we got to talk win. We'll get you on the next one. So hopefully if the next time I am is on New Orleans, it's a win, and we're talking – I move my record to one and two. There you go. Personally on the podcast. Well, you can read all of Sam's work up on Hornets.com. He does a great job, and we appreciate having him on once again here on the Hornets Hivecast. Thank you for having me. That's going to do it for this edition. I invite you to tune in tonight. Hornets are visiting the Philadelphia 76ers. Tip time is slated for 7 p.m. You can hear all the action on WFNZ and, of course, watch it on Fox Sports Southeast with Eric Collins and Del Curry. For everyone here, I'm Sam Farber saying it's been a pleasure and a privilege having you with us on another edition of the Hornets Hotcast.